And we are live, folks. President Biden announced on Wednesday a massive round of student loan forgiveness. Is this fair? Will it exacerbate inflation? Also, Fauci is retiring. And to commemorate this momentous occasion, we collected some of Fauci's greatest hits. Uh, we're going to be talking about this and more in episode 316 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Come to me, my babies. Let me heal your pain. <laughs> Jim, do you know who used to open up a show saying that? I forget. I've, I recognize the phrase, but I forget where it comes from. <laughs> Dennis Miller. I used to watch his show. Oh, that's right. All that's the time. Right. All that's the time. Right. That's right. So we got uh, Jim Lakely joining us, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today? Good, sir. I'm doing well. Uh, just heard news today that uh, the greatest men's tennis player uh, currently playing tennis. I'm a big tennis fan here. There's a tennis ball that I have in my office. Uh, Novak Djokovic, maybe when it's all said and done, the greatest men's tennis player of all time, will not be allowed into the United States to play the U.S. Open uh, that starts, I think, next weekend. And that is because he is not vaccinated. Even oh. though he's had COVID and even though he is immune and even though the CDC says it doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or not, uh, he's not allowed into the country because we are run by idiot tyrants. <laughs> well, we'll have a lot to say about one of those idiot tyrants in the second half of this yes, episode. We, yes, we will. Also joining us, Chris Talgo, senior editor here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Doing good. And uh, I've got a piece of advice for no, uh, Novak Djokovic. Why doesn't he just go down to the border and just walk across? Because down there, you don't need to be vaccinated. You can just enter the country, you know, at your own discretion. So. Maybe we, you should just do that. We are coming in hot today, folks. Coming in hot. That, and they'll even give you a free bus ride to New York City, which is where the U.S. Open right. is. It sounds perfect. perfect. Come on in. And, Come on and in. And they'll give them and a cell phone, too. I mean, that's it's, right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a great deal down there. Audio only listeners that are probably catching this show on a Friday, you can join us a day earlier and watch us live where we'll be streaming on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and pretty much everywhere. Rumble, right? If you want to join in the conversation, leave your comments and questions. Maybe we'll show your comment on screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Um, and uh, a little bit more kind of uh, um, housekeeping things. Last week, I mentioned our upcoming Heartland Institute benefit dinner that is coming on October 21st, featuring Yomi Park here in Chicago land area. And we showed off the little postcard that's over Jim's shoulder over there. But now... We have an awesome new promo video that was made by our producer extraordinaire, Andy. So why don't we go ahead and uh, play this cool event promo. Very hard for me when people ask me what it feels like to live there. To be honest, I tell you, you can't even imagine it. Another American front and center in Pyongyang's propaganda parade. Only people who escape can give us the truth. 
I escaped when I was 13 years old. So you you never went days where you didn't see. This is a, a normal thing to see dead bodies. It was every day as 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 like normal as like breathing the air right now. A North Korean defector, Yomi Park, says attending a woke Ivy League school here in America reminded her of the oppressive regime of Kim Jong-un. Every story was propaganda to brainwash us about the Kim dictators. And there's a young teenage boy, I think, lying down, and his intestines coming out of his uh, back. Even finding a rat is delicacy. I'm on the killing list of Kim Jong-un. Yeah, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty awesome video. I'm gonna give you major props there, Andy, and uh, I think that everyone that's in the area should should click on that link or go to benefit.heartland.org and check out the ticketing information and join us. And I'm pretty sure I think it's safe to say that we're all going to be there. So if you're if you're a constant listener, you always chime in in the chat over there. This will be your opportunity to actually meet us live. So, uh, Jim, any other words you want to say about this event? Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 video is very powerful, and at times it's even disturbing. Uh, Andy did a great job making that video. Uh, I tried to actually make that into a uh, a Twitter ad on Twitter, and the ad was rejected. So <laughs> that's how that's how powerful this is. You know, I, you know, I'm Gen X. Um, I grew up when the Soviet Union um, was still around, when uh, when global communism was you know taking over about half the globe. Uh, and then the Iron Curtain was there to, and we were we established NATO to protect the free world from encroaching um, global communism um, directed by the Soviet Union. And since the collapse of the Soviet Union, there really is only, well, there's China, which is a great, great example of that still going on. But there, um, you know, North Korea, you, you, it's just this, this, they call it the hermit kingdom. It's this country and the society that we have so little knowledge of because so few people are able to escape. She risked uh, her life. She escaped at the age of 13. She made it across uh, the border to China, which, um, you know, she was then sold into slavery for a few years uh, before she was finally able to get out, get to South Korea, and then eventually get to the United States. Her story is, a, is, is something you don't hear every day. You can't hear every day, but you must hear because it really does uh, remind you of how, how fragile freedom really is. Um, and, and I, I am so much looking forward to her talk. Um, I think it's going to be very emotional. I think there might even be a few tears in the audience, probably many of them from me. Um, you really should, if you're in the Chicagoland area, you can help support uh, things like this podcast. You can support this great organization, the Heartland Institute, by attending our benefit dinner, and it'll be a night you will never forget. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Chris, uh, any, any, are, you, are you excited? Are you particularly excited for, for this presentation that we're going to see in October? Oh, I think it's going to be a great presentation, and I think it's going to give us a a real uh, world perspective on what does happen inside that hermit kingdom. You know, there have been some reporters, and I've seen some documentaries. You know, like inside North Korea and that kind of stuff. But I, I think that we should always remember that that still is uh, 
coming under the uh, the North Korean regime because they are allowing these reporters to go to certain places and report on it under their discretion. So this is going to be like one of the first times that we just get a, 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 a real story of what life is like there. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's crazy. It's like with all the stuff going on in the world and everything, we kind of like ignore North Korea. And it's almost like a joke where it's just like, oh, those crazy guys up there. But it's like just watching that like minute and a half long uh, video or, or hearing her talk on Joe Rogan or anything. You just like you realize you can't take this stuff lightly. Like it is it is insanity what like an authoritarian type government can do if their powers are not checked at all. And I think that this presentation in, in October 21st in Chicago will be an, a, a, an incredibly illustrative example of that. So, um, all right, we should get to our topics at hand. We got a lot to talk about today, folks. So yesterday, after weeks of speculation, the Biden administration once again extended the student loan payment pause. The pause, which started under Trump in April of 2020, is now going to continue through the end of 2022, which is 33 months in span or over two and a half years. Two and a half years of student loan pausing. Additionally, the executive action will erase $10,000 in student loans from most borrowers who make less than $125,000 a year. This forgiveness grows to $20,000 for people who receive loans through Pell Grants. I'm, it's all Greek to me. I don't, I don't know all the linguistics of all of that. Jim, what are you going to do with your extra $10,000? <laughs> Oh, I, I'm not getting that. I paid my student loans off uh, decades ago, oh, shoot. Um, and I'm a big sucker, I guess. That's right. Same with you, Chris, right? You're not, uh, you, you paid off your loans, no? Yeah, believe it or not, I had three jobs at one point to pay off my student loans. I did rack up $40,000 in uh, student loan debt, attending uh, my, uh, attaining my graduate degree at National U.S. University. And uh, while I was uh, in grad school, I had three jobs. And when I was a teacher, I moved down to South Carolina. And uh, unlike most other teachers, I actually worked on weekends, worked on spring break, worked on uh, summer break and worked on winter break at a, a local golf course caddying. And every single dollar I made went to paying off my student loans. It was, you know, very uh, relieving when I finally did get them paid off. And I guess I should have just not paid them off. You know, I guess I just guess I should have just uh, waited for good old Uncle Sam to just, you know, pay off, you know, a significant portion of my loans. But you know what? I am a principled person and I try to do the right thing. And when you take out a loan, whether it's for a car or whether it's for an education or, you know, a couch, whatever, it's a, it's incumbent upon you to pay back that loan. It is not incumbent upon other people. And I, I know we're going to talk a lot about this, but man, it's just it really frustrates me. Really, oh, yeah. Really frustrates yeah, me. Yeah, we, we'll get to I've got like five different angles of this story that I want to cover. Um, and, and to your point uh, about the, you know, you're you're financially responsible and you're trying to pay off the loans as quickly as possible. All of that stuff during the first like four five, six months of the of the freeze. I thought like, oh, this is a good opportunity to like continue to make my payments, not accrue any interest and in all of this stuff and, and kind of get ahead of this while it's being paused. And then as I saw kind of the political winds shift and all of that, I was just like, why am I doing this? Like, it's all going to be forgiven at some point. And I decided then I'm not going to pay one cent towards this that I don't need to, because again, in my cynical worldview, this is probably going to be forgiven at some point. 
So that's that's the signal that they're sending people and a message received from me because that's exactly what I did. And now uh, I have, you know, not to get into like, you know, personal specifics here, but like my student loans, I think is a, a, I have to check back on it, but I think it's like a, a little bit under 10,000 if you add it all together. So I might be completely wiped clean from all of this. So if I paid for those like, you know, 33 months, it would have all been for nothing. So that's that's the world that we're in now with all of this. Well, and and Donnie, uh, what they're doing is introducing a moral hazard, you know, across moral the hazard. I'm going to bring that up later. I couldn't think of the term. Go ahead. OK, well, I don't <laughs> I mean, if you want to discuss it later, but I, I, I do think that this uh, is telling people, hey, you know, when when you take out a loan, you don't have to pay it back because of extenuating circumstances, because it's unfair, because of this, that and the other thing. <laughs> And I think that it's it, it's it's sending a very dangerous signal to the American people that, hey, you know what? Maybe that auto loan you took out, maybe you don't have to pay that back. Or the <laughs> credit card loan. I mean, the slippery Seriously. slope argument, I think, is extremely relevant here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Andy Buckets that called me a communist in the chat there. Just wait. Just wait. I got some more communist stuff for you later, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll save that. Uh, so let's let's start with uh, angle number one that I want to take. So who is this? Who is this going to help? Right. So is it the truly needy or the relatively well off that are that are going to get all the benefits from this plan? So I'm reading from this is a article from The Federalist that is titled Studies Show Biden's Illegal Student Debt Scheme is Welfare for the Rich. And in it, there's a paragraph that says, according to an analysis of Biden's plan from the University of Pennsylvania out Tuesday, such a wide ranging bailout will come with a price tag of 300 to 980 billion dollars for American taxpayers. Furthermore, the university calculated, quote, between 69 and 73 percent of the debt forgiven accrues to households in the top 60 percent of the income distribution. Not only that, the liberal Brookings Institution did a study about a couple of years ago. It says, according to Brookings, quote, the highest income, 40 percent of households, those with incomes above seventy four thousand dollars, owe almost 60 percent of the outstanding education debt and make almost three quarters of their payments. The lowest 40 percent of households, just under 20 percent of the outstanding debt and make only 10 percent of the payments. So uh, so it looks like, according to some of these things, that the people that are more relatively well off are going to reap the benefits of all of this. And here's another stat that they mention in this. And this is one that I've heard from grade school. So I'm not sure. I can't imagine that it still like holds up. But it says, meanwhile, students that take on loans are far better equipped to pay them off uh, than many other American taxpayers. Typical worker with a bachelor's degree is likely to earn nearly $1 million more over their career lifetime than the same person with just a high school diploma. So, Jim, I'll go to you first with your <laughs> thoughts of uh, all of this here. Well, you know, it seems Democrats really love giving money away to their rich liberal base. I mean, uh, the electric car rebate. It's like an electric car costs $60,000. It's basically a second car for wealthy uh, people who like to virtue signal or just show how cool they are by driving a Tesla. So uh, the Democrats made sure that happens uh, in all the legislation they do on the climate. And now there's this example. I mean, the, the student loan uh, waiver here is for couples that earn up to $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars in annual uh, uh, salary is enough to get your uh, you and your wife's 
uh, you know, student loans just waived. Um, you know, and so, you know, we're talking about lawyers. We're talking about some of the, you know, th that's a lot of income. That is $250,000 uh, family income, I think puts you in the top 1% or very, very close to it. Uh, certainly easily within the top 10%. Uh, and so, so that's where this, uh, you know, this is like reverse welfare. These are people, mm -hmm. as you noted, that do not need it and are, you know, uh, I, I love you, Donnie. We, we, we're, we're good friends. I can't actually even fault you for gaming the system and having your, uh, whatever you have left over $8,000 of your, of your loan taken away. I mean, I'm, I'm mad about it, but I can't be mad at you. Yeah. Uh, I'm not advocating for this people like in the chat. Right. You're just, right. Yeah. You're just, you're just not being a sucker, but, um, <laughs> And, you know, hats off to you, I guess, on that one, uh, because the rest of us are suckers. And, you know, you, you you mentioned in there in those in the stories that you were reading that, you know, it is the college educated that have the most, um, you know, that have the higher incomes and that need this kind of relief the least. What about people who, instead of going to college, went to a trade school or went to, uh, you know, and learned a skill like, say, plumbing? What about the, the $30,000 loan they took out for their truck? that they had to use for their business. Uh, what about small business owners who have taken out loans to invest uh, in their in their companies when, when they didn't go to college? Those people are get nothing, they're screwed over. This is really, uh, this is a redistribution of wealth from the poor to the rich. This is a, uh, and they say it's going to cost $300 billion. And I wanna get back into the idea that Biden can even do this uh, under the constitution, billion $300 billion. And that's the minimum. When they say it's 300 to $900 billion, you know, let's just round it up to a trillion because it's always <laughs> on the high end anyway. So yeah, this yeah. is a trillion dollar transfer of wealth from the poor and the middle class to the wealthy. I saw a story the other day, I didn't click on it, but the headline was that the majority of White House staffers are eligible for this uh, loan waiver. Oh, great. So this is our ruling elite and our ruling elite in training that are benefiting from an unconstitutional act by a rogue tyrant president. Uh, he does not have the power to do this. I do want to get into that in a minute, but uh, I'm trying to keep my cool here and uh, we'll, we'll just move on to Chris. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll give you a, a few more opportunities to blow your stack. There's no doubt about that. Chris, I want to play one video from our, our gracious president because uh, he was asked as he was walking off stage after this announcement about this this is this fair uh question and i want to show you his response this is ridiculous go ahead andy is this unfair to people who paid their student loans or chose not to take out loans is it fair to people who in fact uh, do not own multi-billion dollar businesses they see why these guys get them all attached is that fair what do you think? What kind of statement is that? Like, no, that's not fair. That's are you saying non both of these are fair or both of these are not fair? <laughs> like, it just is a ludicrous response. But go ahead, Chris. No, it's also a non sequitur because he refuses to answer the question because he knows that it's completely blatantly unfair. It's unfair. And we all know that it's unfair. It's unfair because it's uh, it, it, it like Jim said, it is uh, taking from people who uh, graduated with high school diplomas and giving the money to people that took on, uh, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of debt to get costly college diplomas. So this is an upward transfer of wealth. It is going to benefit, uh, you know, Biden politically, because I think one of the main reasons he did this is because he knew that he is uh, uh, polling abysmally low with uh, young voters in particular. 
uh it, i mean it was really really bad right before this announcement like like you know mid-20s and i think that this is really just uh him trying to say you know what i gotta get i gotta get some votes together gotta cobble some uh you know some groups here and there so one of the things i can do right off the bat boom you know just uh Give give a handout to young voters. Try to get them on board. And I think that we're going to see more stuff like this in the next 75 days leading up to the midterm election, because I think that the Democrats want to maintain Congress. And it looks like they might hold the Senate and it actually looks like they might hold the, the House. And I think that these are just political ploys to try to shore up their base. Yeah. I really think that that's all this boils down to. Yeah, I've got a question about the politics of all of this that I want to bring up later, too. But uh, I see a, a question over in the, the chat there. Is this legal? How will this be stopped? So that's kind of the next facet that I want to take onto this. So there was an article. I forget which one. Oh, I think it's the same, the Federalist article. And it says, at the same time, the White House's unilateral plans are legally questionable at best. In January last year, the Department of Education released an eight-page memo stating that the agency lacks the statutory authority to cancel, compromise, discharge, or forgive on a blanket or mass basis. Principal balances of student loans and or uh, materially modify the repayment amounts or terms thereof. In other words, without congressional approval, Biden's decision to wipe out a minimum of $300 billion in student debt with a stroke of a pen is unconstitutional, according to the department. So that's the uh, the Department of Education saying that. Well, you know, who else is weighing in on this important question? How about Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House of Representatives for 99 out of the past 115 years? Uh, she, <laughs> she, we have a clip of her. <clears throat> addressing this exact same thing. So why don't we go ahead and play this clip of Nancy Pelosi talking about it. The, the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would that has to be an act of Congress. So that was that was Nancy Pelosi talking 15 years ago. Oh, no, no, wait, sorry. About 13 months ago. So it's not yeah. like this is t taken out of context from just like where we are today or anything like this. It's a very contemporary piece. Uh, Jim, you brought that one to my attention. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about the legality of all this? Yeah, well, it's not legal and it is a political ploy and it, it may get struck down by the courts, although I don't have much faith in that uh, either. But uh, the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 7 states, quote, no money shall be drawn from the Treasury, unquote except uh, that made by law. Uh, so it's in the Constitution. This is the master document of our system of government that Congress, which is the, uh, the branch of government uh, that is most accountable to the people, the most democratic of our three branches of government, it says that the Congress has the power of the purse. And in fact, uh, it should start in the House of Representatives as well. Uh, the point of that clause in the Constitution was to ensure that no uh, president could act as a king a king who thinks the public treasury, which contains our money that they have taken from us, you know, that a president can't act like a king who thinks that's his personal treasury. And that's exactly what Joe Biden has done. You know, I seem to remember it being very important uh, when Trump wanted to spend money to build a wall on the southern border, that the treasury was not his personal piggy bank that he could use to spend on whatever uh, thing that he wanted to do. Now that Joe Biden and, and I don't think the wall was going to cost at minimum three hundred billion dollars. But now Joe Biden, because he wants to buy votes from uh, from young people, 
uh, young college educated liberals, which are which are not that enthusiastic about him, but they get a little bit more warm to you politically when you just hand them ten thousand dollars each. Uh, and, and the idea that somebody can sue to stop this, you know, uh, I think, Chris, you came in my office. We talked about this this earlier. I actually doubt it. I mean, how many times have we seen some kind of obviously unconstitutional overreach of power by the executive branch? And then somebody tries to sue to stop it, who says they've been harmed by it. And then we see a federal judge somewhere or a panel of judges say, you don't have standing to sue. We, we live in a society in which an environmental group like the Sierra Club or Greenpeace that are that are well funded with multi hundred million dollar annual budgets, they can sue. And uh, they can sue a compliant EPA to impose their policies on us because the courts have said they have standing to sue. But if you are directly harmed by federal uh, by federal action, you are often have your case thrown out of court by judges who say you don't have standing. Uh, and so that's what I think will probably happen here. Uh, you know, this is the same thing. Uh, well, again, this this is why you know the inf the so-called inflation reduction act right i mean this is the same kind of scam this is why our our system i think is almost irreparably broken the 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 so-called inflation reduction act was actually just a huge climate spending bill uh, and, and getting us into a green energy future that will fail us and cause people to actually die. And it was passed through what they call budget reconciliation, which skirted around the filibuster rules, which requires 60 votes for passage, because they finagled it and really faked the idea that this was actually a budget-related bill because it reduced the deficit by, wait for it, $300 billion over 10 years. And that's what Joe Manchin said. That's why I'm voting for this, because this is going to reduce the deficit. Has anybody asked Joe Manchin about this yet? Has any reporter tracked him down in the halls of the Senate to ask him, hey, you know, your president, Joe Biden, that you made a good deal with, and uh, all your friends in, in, you know, the rest of the Democrats, you made a deal to get this thing done. He wiped out your so-called deficit reduction in an afternoon with the stroke of a pen. And in fact, he probably wiped it out times three. And, uh, you know, so we, we live in a, in a place where where a climate bill could be called a budget bill so they could sneak it past, uh, it, sneak it past the Senate by breaking its own rules. And now we have uh, the uh, president of the United States just arbitrarily writing a check for a trillion dollars and that and, and, and uh, getting around Congress with Nancy Pelosi just 13 months ago saying that is not possible. You cannot do that. I am waiting for somebody to be able to sue. And uh, and say that you cannot do this. Maybe it would take Republicans taking over Congress and the new Speaker of the House suing. If and if the Speaker of the House doesn't have standing to sue the President for 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 abusing his power, just taking money out of the Treasury, then this country is finished. Uh, Chris, uh, care to comment? On this <laughs> Whoa, issue. It's going to be a little uh, <laughs> yeah. difficult to follow up. But uh, <laughs> gee, Donnie, well let's let let let's do the uh, the Donald Trump test. If Donald Trump were to do this, do you think that Nancy Pelosi would sit idly by and let this happen? No, she mm. would probably serve impeachment papers within 10 <laughs> seconds of him doing this because it's a because it, it is directly violating, like Jim said, the Constitution, which grants Congress the power of the purse. But, oh, I forgot. Uh, this is, you know, beneficial to the Democrats and to the left. So, of course, Nancy Pelosi is going to be on board with this. Of course, she's not going to do anything about it. And, of course, all the Democrats and I've been you know, watching uh, the news coverage since they're all applauding this. And actually some of them are saying this doesn't go far enough. Yeah. Bernie and, and Elizabeth Warren and AOC and Elon Omar saying, Hey, this is a great start, but, uh, actually let's go 50 K let's go hundred K let's just wipe the whole slate clean. So I actually wonder if this is just a trial balloon and I, I wouldn't, I would not be surprised if maybe after the midterms they then say, well, we've, we've already done 10 K let's just, you know, go 50 K or hundred K yeah. or whatever. 
Right. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I think that the political uh, ramifications of this over the long term are going to be really, really scary because this is opening up the slippery slope. I know that some people say, oh, slippery slope. That doesn't mean anything, blah, blah, blah. But no, once oh, you're, one you're well, setting well, a precedent for. sure. Yeah, right. Exactly. Once the, the, the president of the United States just declares himself king and just uh, takes his magic wand and just arbitrarily just makes three hundred billion dollars just disappear. Well, then what can't he do? Literally, yeah. what can't he do? You know, I, I want to uh, because because Justin's not here and he would have plenty to say about all of this stuff uh, in regards to student loan, student loan forgiveness. Um, he's he knows the details. He's read the fine print of a lot of these things. And I've heard him saying and forgive me if I mangle this a little bit. If he were on, he'd probably be able to present it a little bit more eloquently than me. But he says that there is not a student loan crisis and that all of these student loans that you get through the government and all of that uh, can be paid in a income driven repayment plan. So if you're not making anything and you've got $100,000 worth of loans uh, and you don't have a job or whatever, the price that you have to pay is very close to nothing. And it's, well, it depends on how much income that you're having, right. how much money you have to pay. So, like, it's the, the idea that people are going broke over this. It, they shouldn't be because you could just get an income driven repayment plan. Well, and Donnie, last time I checked, there were 11.4 million open jobs in the United States. And there are lots of people who are sitting at home just collecting, you know, uh, welfare checks, uh, collecting, you know, SNAP benefit checks, and now not having to pay their student loans. So, I mean, you know, we we, we talk about socialism, we talk about all this stuff, but I, I think it's I think it's uh, occurring at a uh, at a faster rate than it ever has in this country's history. I, I, I just think back when I was in college 20 years ago or so. If if you if this would have been you know floated by then President Bush, I, it would have been laughed out of the room. Like, sure. are you are you serious? Like, no, go get a job. Uh, uh, you know, when 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 you take out a loan, you pay back your loan. It's as simple as that. What has happened to the United States in in, in the past decade? I think a lot of this actually does go back to Barack Obama and his fundamental transformation. He did a lot of stuff on student loans, you know, did and, and did a lot of you know uh, stuff where he made it uh, illegal for. Uh, private banks to issue student loans. You know, the government guaranteed loans have just skyrocketed in recent years. Tuition rates have skyrocketed as well. Gee, I wonder why. And mm -hmm. this is not going to address any of those problems. It's just a, it, it's just a political payoff, but I think it's setting such a dangerous precedent to these, uh, to these young Americans who are already, you know, willing to go down the socialist road and saying, yeah, you just make him pay for it. All I don't right. want to pay for it. Just make that guy pay for it. So it's, it, it's, Really scary yeah, Jim, stuff. Jim, you you sent something the other day that had had something to do with that, like, oh no, the government actually might have the authority to do this now. Uh, can you explain that? What? When did I say that? When did they? Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so if this is challenged in court, what they're going to uh, what they're going to say is that uh, the president has the authority to do this under his emergency powers. <laughs> emergency well, what emergency? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What emergency do you think? Actually, the so the Department of Education actually put out, a put out a memo. Well, no, that'll be that'll be next. But he, <laughs> but the, the Department of Ed his Department of Education, the lawyers in the Department of Education, first of all, said I think it was January of 2021 that uh, no, that the president cannot uh, just wave with a, like like the Pope and just give absolution for uh, student <laughs> loans. Uh, that no, the president can't do that. It has to come through Congress. And then recently, they just asked the lawyers again, the lawyers that he appoints to his Department of Education to, hey, why don't you rethink that uh, and see, see if you come up with a better answer 
if you'd like to have your job, that is, come up with a better answer. And so they just came out with a new opinion. Hey, you know what? The council's office of the Department of Education says you can waive the uh, uh, everybody's student loans under the, uh, the emergency powers that you have for COVID. And this is why the COVID emergency will never go away, because mm -hmm. apparently it gives the president unlimited power to do whatever the hell he wants to do to deal with a emergency for COVID-19, which is not an emergency anymore. You could al almost even say it's not even really, well, I guess it's still a pandemic because it's still out there and people still get infected. Uh, Jill Biden, Jill Biden just got uh, COVID Doctor. again. Yeah, Doctor Dr. Jill, Jill Biden and her husband have both gotten COVID each twice in one month. So I guess we still are in a pandemic. But but. but Go ahead, James. No, no, it's okay. But but he's doing this under emergency powers. And the only way you're going to get rid of these emergency powers is if, I suppose, if Congress passes a law and then the president signs it saying, okay, I no longer have emergency powers. This is why these things, we're in such trouble in this country. Emergency powers need to be at the, if you're going to, if you're going to give a president emergency powers, they need to be automatically sunset. And these apparently are not. And so, uh, yeah, so so the Department of Education under the HEROES Act, which was put in place after 9-11, which was then called a national emergency. And so the president was doing all these other things. I mean, this is this is so this is so tyrannical. It's just it's just crazy. And then just one one other point, um, you know, you talked about. Uh, what Justin was saying about what percentage of somebody's income they have to apply to uh, paying back their student loans. Uh, it was 10%. In fact, it was uh, uh, the undergrad payments had to be had to be applied to uh, like 10% of your discretionary income, whatever, however that's defined. That's now been cut to 5% uh, where it was. So I guess that some people that have like, say, $50,000 worth of loans, they get 10,000 wiped away. They still have to pay that other 40,000. But, you know, good luck with that. Um, those payments are not going to be coming in very fast. But uh, the Wall Street Journal had a terrific editorial about this today. Uh, and he that in the, among the facts noted in this editorial was that unemployment among college graduates is near a record low of 2%. Hmm. So these are people who have jobs and who have higher paying jobs than, than a lot of other people. And we're not going to make them uh, pay back the, uh, the loans that they took out. And this was just the inevitable. This was always going to come. We always knew, actually, we always knew this was coming, Chris, you and I talked about this again uh, yesterday uh, that, you know, it used to be, I mean, I got my student loans. I, I, I borrowed it from a bank. You know, it was a private loan that I had to pay back. So there was no chance for me to ever get a bailout for that. But then we, we've now progressed and the Obama administration did this where basically, and I think entirely, I think it, it might, I should have looked this up before the podcast. I apologize, but I think it's illegal for a, for a private bank to give out a loan to pay for college tuition. The, the, the government has a monopoly on this now. And once the government had a monopoly on this with guaranteed loans for students to go to college for however long they want, take out as many loans as they want, that caused uh, the, the kind of inflation mm -hmm. in tuition that has been going up since I was in college in the late 80s or early 90s. And it far outpaces regular inflation over everything else, college, uh, the college, the cost of college tuition has gone way up compared to everything else. Why? Because they're basically getting an unlimited supply of guaranteed free money from the government to, uh, to charge for tuition. So the prices always go up. Uh, and now we're at the point where the, the federal government has a monopoly on student loans. And so, yeah, um, this was the inevitable result of a terrible, terrible plan. Yeah, yeah, Chris. Chris, I, I, I want to get, I want to get to you. I want to let you back in here, but uh, I got a couple Sorry. more facets that I want to get to, <laughs> and I want to save a whole lot of time for the Fauci sections. And 
So uh, the question is inflation. We've already talked about the, these ridiculous numbers and all of this. The United States in the midst of the worst bout of inflation since the 70s. The Biden administration already passed a bill to combat inflation. But as we already know, it will do nothing to reduce inflation. It'll do everything to probably make it worse. So why not pour $300 billion more of gasoline onto this inflation fire? That, that seems like a good idea. So Larry Summers... This is an, an article I'm reading from. It's a Bloomberg article. Larry Summers, president uh, emeritus of Harvard University and former treasurer secretary, argued against unreasonably generous student loan relief because it is spending that raises demand and increases inflation. So this is all based on a tweet storm that he had where he wrote in a series of tweets. I hope the administration does not contribute to inflation macroeconomically by offering unreasonably generous student loan relief or microeconomically by encouraging college tuition increases. Every dollar spent on student loan relief is a dollar that could have gone to support those who don't get the opportunity to go to college. Student loan debt relief is spending that raises demand and increases inflation. It consumes resources that could be better used helping those who did not, for whatever reason, have the chance to attend college. It will also tend to be inflationary by raising tuitions, says Larry Summers. So no matter what you feel about the fairness of student loan forgiveness or the, the questions of its legality, you have to understand that this sort of government handout is the exact type of helicopter stimulus that directly leads to inflation. Chris, thoughts about this? Yeah, okay. And and it, it, it's even worse coming off the fact that the Inflation Reduction Act raises taxes. So so the Inflation Reduction Act raises taxes on uh, fossil fuels and a bunch of other uh, things that went very unreported uh, during the, the the bill process. But uh, that's just going to further reduce, uh, you know, uh, macroeconomic production. And so in, in, in one week, they have raised taxes, of course, which is going to reduce uh, supply or reduce uh, the supply of goods and services. And then the, a couple of days later, they, you know, just magically make 380 billion or whatever, you know, in uh, student uh, loan debt just disappear, which means that those people are going to have more discretionary income, which means that they're going to go to the store and buy more things. They're going to buy more things, but there aren't more things to buy. What's going to happen to prices? They're going to go <laughs> up, guys. This is like Econ 101. I mean, you know, yeah, it, it, it's great that Larry Sumner's is is uh, ringing the alarm bell about this. But then, you know, I, I think that a lot of people are discounting that. And I was watching MSNBC uh, late last night and uh, early this morning before coming to work and, and just trying to get like their take on all this. They're taking, oh, this is going to be great. Consumers are going to get more money. They're going to go and be able to spend. They're going to be able to get mortgages. Oh, so they can go in debt even more. It's like, guys, wow. You know, it, 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 this does not make any any sense economically, Donnie. It makes <laughs> right. no sense economically, but it, it's not meant to. It's meant to be a political buy-off. So uh, just like the Inflation Reduction Act, it's not supposed to reduce inflation. It's a political buy-off to their donors who want to go buy a new uh, you know, Tesla and have us 
kick in 8,000 bucks for them to go buy their new Tesla. Uh, Jim, I'm going to race through a couple of things and then I'll come back to you. <laughs> Again, I want to manage our time here. I know. But I know. Uh, so, so the first thing, Chris, you already kind of mentioned this uh, up front in our conversation is won't this just make the problem worse? Like this just sends the signal to potential borrowers not to take this stuff too seriously because the government will probably just forgive it in the future. It mm. shatters that price signal effect. Well, if I take out $100,000 worth of loans, I'll probably only end up having to pay a tenth of that. So, yeah, sure. Sign me up. Sign me up for $100,000 in loans. And then I, I there, that term, what was it? Moral hazard. That was Moral the term hazard, that I was yeah. thinking of. That is what it's being created by this. Mm -hmm. um, and then the not far enough thing, Chris, I think you also mentioned this, that uh, as many people that are on the right that are upset about this, there are just as many on the left that are upset about this. However, they are mad that Biden's announcement didn't go far enough. So you mentioned a couple of people that are talking about how, like, I think um, uh, Elizabeth Warren said, like, 50,000 should be forgiven. Well, uh, Bernie Sanders, my second favorite socialist, he said, no, actually, he's my first. My first favorite socialist sent out an email to all of his supporters that was promoting the idea of canceling all student loan debt. He has a, a, a new sticker that he's trying to sell, apparently, that reads, cancel student debt, all of it. And then around the circumference of the sticker, it reads, 45 million Americans are in debt to the tune of $1.9 trillion for the crime of pursuing a higher education. And when I read that, I just like, I, I like face palmed because it's just so yeah. ridiculous, you know? Yeah, uh, my wallet is empty because of the crime of me having to go to the grocery store and buying food. Like, it's just a ridiculous uh, uh, statement to make. But, you know, I wouldn't expect much more out of our Democratic Socialist friends. But I want to I end this all with one other kind of conversation, which is, is there any solutions that you could get behind? Because and I, this, is, this is where I warned you guys. I'm probably going to get heat in the chat from this. But uh, I, I think that there is a problem with all of the student loan debt, and it is in large part caused by the government. Jim, you already just mentioned this in your latest rant, where <laughs> it's uh, the complete perversion of the student loan process. The fact that 90 plus percent of student loans are backed by by the government, essentially erasing the concept of risk from the lender. And the entire public education system repeatedly telling kids that they have to go to college with the promise that they're going to make so much more money after they graduate has marched generations of people into this government manufactured rat trap. And then we question the actions of like 17 year olds because of their maturity levels, yet we're allowing them to sign on to tens of thousands of dollars in debt. So I do think that there's like a problem. And I do think that that problem is in part caused by the government. So I am sympathetic to the idea of something being done. And I understand that the solution that we're just talking about here with Biden, all of that just riddled with issues. But I had seen this thing a, a while ago. I, I tried to dig it up. If I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But there was like a conservative congressman, Republican congressman that was floating the idea of saying, um, well, you know, if we're going to if we're going to forgive all of this stuff. Why don't we make colleges and universities with their massive endowment funds who've been jacking up the prices of tuition due to all this government perversions of the market? Why don't we make them pick up the tab for this? It, it's so, uh, Jim, I'll go to you first. Uh, a, what do you what do you think about my my statement that I think that there is a problem and it is caused by the government for the most part? And B, what do you think of that idea of making colleges and universities pick up the tab instead of the taxpayers? Yeah. 
Yeah, I like both ideas, and you're right. This is a problem entirely caused by government. As I mentioned before, the inflation for college tuition is, I think it's it's so much higher than the regular inflation rate for everything else in this country. And it's because of all this guaranteed federal money that's in there. And what do these schools spend all this money on? Uh, they don't spend it on more teachers. Um, they spend it on more administration and a more lavish campus to attract more students that will have to take out more federal loans to afford the tuition at these very expensive universities. Meanwhile, you know, like Harvard, I think I think the average endowment for a uh, for an Ivy League school is, is like a billion dollars, something like that. It's enormous. Uh, they have these endowments and uh, they basically just invest that money in the stock market to create revenue for the university outside of, of, of tuition. And they're never talked about. They're never touched. Um, but a, a solution for individuals, you know, it's one that's sensible that works for almost every other kind of debt is being able to declare bankruptcy and to claim that your student loans are part of what, you know, why you are bankrupt and you can't afford to pay all of your bills. And when you, when you file for bankruptcy and the, the, you go through the courts and they reduce your, uh, your obligations, you still have to pay, but not all fully, all of your debts. That's what's the advantage of filing for bankruptcy, but you can't do that with student loans. And do you know why? Because Joe Biden, passed a law when he was a senator exempting student loans from bankruptcy protection. That's why. <laughs> Joe Biden did that. You know, uh, there's so, a lot of cosmic ironies when you're in office for like 70 years. <laughs> so, I, I know. Between I that know. and like the crime bill and everything that he helped pass. It's, okay, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you know, And I was just going to say, I don't, I, we probably don't have time to play this clip now, but uh, uh, Steve Ducey um, asked the uh, spokesperson uh, at the White House we made the, we just made the point. Look, you can wipe out the president can say you don't have to pay your debt anymore, but it doesn't make the debt go away. It's not mm -hmm. magic. The debt is still there. Right. <laughs> you know, you're, we're still out a trillion dollars uh, from the treasury. So, you know, how do you, how do you answer that? And she just put up this word salad of nonsense that didn't address the question at all. But the point is so elementary and clear, just saying that you don't owe me the money anymore. Doesn't mean that you, you know, I'm still not out the money. You know, if, if I lent you a hundred bucks, Donnie, and I said, you know, I forget about it. Uh, you know, you don't have to pay me back. I'd still be out a hundred bucks. But I'd be okay with it. <laughs> right. The, the the treasury being out three hundred at minimum three hundred billion dollars. I'm not okay with that, frankly. Uh, Chris, feel free to address any point. I'm gonna give you the last word on this topic before we jump to Fauci. Uh, feel free to comment on anything or that plan to have colleges and universities pick up the tab instead. Uh, I mean, my inclination is is to be kind of a hard line here and and say no. I I I strongly believe in principle, and if you took out a loan, I think that it's incumbent upon you to pay it back. And um, I, I totally agree with Jim's assessment that the uh, government intervention in uh, in in the college loan process is the driving factor for this, just like the. Uh, the government intrusion into the housing market with the Community Reinvestment Act of the 1970s eventually led to the housing bubble burst. You know, uh, banks banks would not lend to people if they thought that it was a bad idea to lend to them and that they would not get it back. Only the government can say, hey, we'll give you money. And if you don't want to pay it back, well, then we'll just cancel it or whatever. We'll send the taxpayers foot the bill. Mm -hmm. So I would actually much rather have private banks go back into funding college loans, because then you could say, hey, I'm going to go try to get a degree in engineering. I think it's going to really pay off. I'm going to get a high paying job. That bank would say, OK, fine. You know, we'll look at your, you know, your uh, 
grades in high school and everything, your SAT. And then if they think, okay, this is a good investment, right. which is, you know, what it should That's be. That's what originally was. Th- right. <laughs> then, then, then we will give you the loan to go and pursue that degree. And if you pursue that degree, then you'll have a good job and then you will pay back Chris, that money. Are you advocating putting in price signals and uh, uh, risk balances and all of this back into the system? God, you're a radical. Yeah, you are a I radical just, guy. There's this thing called supply and demand. You know, it just kind of kind of works. You know, free markets. Yeah. But... Ever since uh, modern monetary theory, uh, that's that's all falling apart. All right, let's spend the last uh, 15 minutes or so talking about good old Saint Fauci. So, Doctor Anthony Fauci is retiring. Fauci, who has been in the public health sector for more than 50 years and served as an advisor to every president since Ronald Reagan, is set to finally put down his stethoscope in December. Well, if we want to be more accurate about it, he's going to put down his lapel mic because he's seemingly just on every news station for the past two and a half years in December. So, uh, Jim, let's start with you. Are you going to miss Fauci? Well, I mean, with Fauci gone, I don't know how we're going to figure out how many uh, members of our family we're allowed to invite over for Thanksgiving, you know, without Fauci. Oh, oh, that's right. He's not retiring until December. So great. One more Thanksgiving in which Fauci can tell us how many uh, loved ones we can have around us for the holidays. Uh, You know, he's going to get he's (laughs) you know what his pension is going to be? Three hundred billion (laughs) dollars. (laughs) <laughs> nah, it's $350,000 a year for the rest of his oh, life, which good. is nice in his annual pension. And that's on top of all the money that he made from Big Pharma on the side while being a public servant. And that, the books uh, that he's going to write, and surely. The books, yeah, and all that the movie stuff. that's going to be based off movie of deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's already been some. Oh, God. Yeah. So, uh, you know, good riddance Where public. Have you been? Yeah. So good riddance to this so-called public servant who's uh, really only served his own bank account and ego, and uh, he can't go, he can't, he can't leave fast enough. Yeah. Uh, so we have a series of clips here that I refer to as his low lights, and uh, as I was like finding some of them, they were just kind of coming to mind, and it was just the idea that this guy is an absolute egomaniac. So no way. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> right. So the first clip that I want to play is the the one that we've covered before, which is the basically Fauci claiming that he is science. So let's go ahead and play that one. He is science. One of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people and there was pushback against me. So if you are trying to, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. And anybody that looks at what's going on clearly sees that. You have to be asleep not to see that. That is what's going on. Anyone who science and the truth third person. should should be banned from government service. oh there, there's there's plenty of that there's plenty of that oh, and, yeah. and i apologize yeah. for me like visually cringing at this because this stuff is nails on a chalkboard to me i i i apologize but uh i've got another another clip of him this one's a little bit more recent uh this is him talking about the fauci effect so let's go ahead and play this look look how modest fauci is when he's talking about this too so just dripping in modesty go ahead andy called the fauci effect which is sort of like, you know, as trust me, I'm, I, I don't get excited about that. <laughs> you don't look excited. I mean, it's nice, but I mean, it's, it's I, I, people go to medical school now, people are interested in science 
not because of me, because people, most people don't know me, who I am. My friends oh, yeah. know Nobody me, my wife knows are. me, but people don't Look know at everybody me. It's mad. what I symbolize. <laughs> and and what I symbolize in, a, in an era of the normalization of untruths and lies <laughs> and, and all the things you're seeing going on in society from January 6th to everything else that goes on, people the craving for consistency, for integrity, for truth, and for people caring about people. One more thing. <laughs> Andy pulls me up full screen. Sorry. Uh, one more thing that I want to mention on just this, uh, this theme of him being an egomaniac. This was a little expose on uh, the New York Post that was showing some inside pictures of Fauci's home, his home office. So uh, as you're pulling this up, Andy, I'll describe it. It's a shrine. It, it's, it's Yes, yes. Fauci's office is essentially a shrine unto himself. And on his desk, you'll see that there's a little Anthony Fauci bobblehead. Uh, over on the right, there's like a little like uh, magazine spread. And then up on the left there, the big red circle, if you're watching the a vi video version of this podcast, is a giant self-portrait. Or not self-portrait, because I don't think he drew it himself, but it's a portrait of Fauci. He's sitting there doing work under a giant portrait of himself. This guy is on a whole nother level when it comes to egomaniacs. Chris, what do you think? Uh, well, Donnie, I can say that uh, my office does not look like that. Your office does not look like that. And Jim's <laughs> office definitely doesn't look like that because we're humble people. We don't have to erect, uh, you know, shrines to ourselves uh, that we just, you know, can can stare at all day long. Um, wow, Dr. Fauci, geez, it's been a uh, it's been a rough run for him for the past couple of years. We all know, and I know that we're not supposed to say this. This is very, very naughty. We all know that Dr. Fauci is responsible for COVID nineteen because he funded gain of function research in the Wuhan lab. I am saying that because we know that that happened. The uh, NIH admitted that in writing to Congress after he had that testified. happened. Okay. Dr. Fauci, I, 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 I strongly believe that he sees the writing on the wall, that there is more evidence that's coming to light. Rand Paul is not backing down on this one iota. And if the Republicans do gain back the House of Representatives, there will be investigations into how COVID-19 was created. And Dr. Fauci, I think, is worried sick about that, which is why he is resigning so conveniently in December, right before, you know, hopefully, you know, the Republicans take back the House of Representatives, because guess what? Then he just won't show up. And you know what? President Biden is not <laughs> President Biden is not going to sick the DOJ to go put him in leg irons if he you know, is uh, uh, trying to get on a flight to go you know, visit his family or whatever, like they did to Peter Navarro and all the other people who have defied congressional sub, uh, subpoenas. So I think that Dr. Fauci is doing this to save his, you know what, and he's going to you know, get his, his golden parachute from the government. I'm sure that he's going to go and do a whole bunch of things and make a whole bunch more money. But you know what? I think that when the history of this era is written, it's going gonna, it's gonna to uh, reflect very poorly upon Dr. Fauci because eventually, I, I, I guess I'm being an optimist here, <laughs> I think eventually the truth will come out on on the origins of COVID-19. I strongly Jim, believe that. Jim, uh, feel free to comment on all of that. Uh, but you also, in preparation for this podcast, pulled together a couple of videos. So feel free to tee those up if you want. Uh, take, take this conversation about Fauci in any direction that you want. 
All right. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to talk about this man, this this evil garden gnome, this this <laughs> complete clown, this 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 megalomaniac uh, who has been wrong on every turn. He was wrong about AIDS in the '80s. He's he's the highest paid public servant in our federal government, making I think almost twice as much as the president of the United States himself. Uh, and he's headed up an agency. Um, you know, people kind of, uh, you know, conflate the Centers for Disease Control, which is uh, Rochelle Walensky, another another uh, mediocre uh, moron, uh, heading up that that agency to the NIH, uh, which is Fauci's department. But he has been; they have been combined have been wrong about almost everything about COVID from the very beginning, and uh, it's just it's just crazy. And actually the CDC even admitted, yeah, we could have done a better job. Um, and so they, they came out with some changes they're going to make in the CDC moving forward. And it's all about getting more diversity, uh, and having more, uh, more diversity hires, I guess, in the upper echelons of CDC, because that's going to fix everything. Um, you, you have to understand, I think one of the big reasons Dr. Fauci is such a liar is because he's been in government for so long. I think it's more than 50 years. Uh, I still, I've waited for somebody when he's been testifying before Congress to ask him, hey, hey, little guy, when's the last time you saw a patient? You know, he's a doctor, but he probably hasn't seen a patient in maybe as much as 50 years. Uh, and so he's just reading studies and only promoting the studies that that uh, had validated the draconian disastrous in so many ways uh, policies that were inflicted upon this country. He even had the balls to say, I don't think I made this, uh, I don't think I made a clip of this, but to say that he hasn't shut down anything. He's been asked about, well, what about all these school shutdowns and, and the lockdowns and everybody's like, hey, I didn't shut down anything. No, yeah. you just you just made recommendations that became mandates and that nobody had the power to even criticize, right? let alone oppose. Uh, and then you have all these governors. I mean, you know, there were free state governors like like uh, uh, DeSantis down in Florida and Texas and Tennessee were more free states. But most a lot of states, including, you know, benighted Illinois is run by uh, a leftist uh, moron, J.B. Pritzker. And so he's going to do whatever the CDC recommendations are. So for that, that's the kind of arrogance this guy has. He even denies doing anything to shut the sh to shut the government down, even though he demanded that we all treat his recommendations, his senseless, not scientific recommendations as as gospel, as the law of the land. Uh, and what this really, I think, outlines is, is the real failure of our institutions. The bigger and more lavishly funded they get, the worse they are at their jobs. I mean, how many billions of dollars, how many people work in CDC? They couldn't look at studies and or even observe that, say, a country like Sweden didn't do any of these draconian things and worked out just fine or even better than us in many other ways. Nah, we're not going to look at that. We're going to reform the CDC by hiring even more people to increase the diversity of our bureaucrats. I mean, we... <laughs> It's just again. I don't know how to talk about this without without swearing. But it's like this is a complete this is a complete failure, and um, we're just supposed and now we're supposed to celebrate his failure by giving him a three hundred fifty thousand dollar pension. You know, teen suicide rates for girls went skyrocketed during lockdowns and COVID. We're not supposed to talk about that. The United States has more excess deaths not related to COVID than almost any country in the world. Why? Because of the shutdowns, the endless panic and anxiety that Fauci. And had it had inflicted upon the country and to have him sit around there with that smug look on his little face and say that I am science and that there's a Fauci effect. If people want to go into science and become doctors because of me, 
it makes me absolutely crazy. And, uh, you know, he will be subpoenaed by Rand Paul. You know, I guess maybe not. You know, I don't think the Republicans may even take over the Senate. But, yeah, he, he will never be held to account for any of this. Uh, he'll ignore all subpoenas and you will not see people, you know, you will not see him being arrested to account for his for his policies uh, in, in this country. He's just going to walk away a richer man. Jim, we're we're approaching the sixty minute mark here, and uh, we have a couple of clips here. I don't want I, I don't know. want all your work to go to waste. Is there one in particular <sighs> that you want to show off to to kind of encapsulate how terrible of a guy this this Fauci is? I don't know. I titled one Fauci Clown Show. Let's just play that and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Andy, Flip go one. ahead and play the <laughs> Fauci Clown Show. We'll we'll end it with this. And in fact, I think we need to make sure that your listeners understand. I didn't shut down anything. I recommended to the president that we shut the country down. And the only way to do that is by draconian means of essentially shutting down a country. We know that we can do that if we shut down. Well, I think one of the things you really need to do to the extent that you can shut down Mm. temporarily Mm. the country, I think is important. Well, if I knew at the time that shutting down would have such a dramatic effect on controlling (laughs) the spread, obviously we would have shut down earlier. There are those who say you shut down your destructive things by disrupting the economy. And others say, well, if you save so many infections by shutting down, why didn't you shut down two weeks earlier? But I don't regret saying that the only way we could have really stopped the explosion of infection was by essentially, um, I want to say shutting down. I mean, essentially having the physical separation and the kinds of recommendations that we've made. You've been a big fan of Cuomo and the shutdown in New York. You've lauded New York for their policy. New York had the highest death rate in the world. How could we possibly be jumping up and down and saying, oh, Governor Cuomo did a great job. He had the worst death rate in the world. No, you misconstrued that, Senator. (laughs) (laughs) End it with a flat out lie. That's great. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so, of course, the shutdowns did nothing. Nothing. All it did was ruin millions and millions of people's lives. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. The arrogance of that uh, man. I, and I can't stand that voice. I'm so glad to be able to get I know. that voice. Yeah, no oh, kidding. God. Well, they'll probably they'll probably have him take over for Brian Stelter on uh, CNN, but we'll see. All right, that that's we're already long here, so I want to thank everybody for. Yeah, did we flatten the curve yet? I want to thank everyone for joining us on this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week. You can catch us live on Thursdays at noon Central Time, streaming on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Rumble. Join the conversation. Put your comments and questions. Maybe we'll show your comments on screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Make sure to hit that subscribe button, share this content, leave a comment under the video, all things that cost you absolutely nothing, but help our channel grow, break through those big tech algorithms to prevent content like this from being shown to more people. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at In The Tank Pod, and you can uh, send us your comments, questions, suggestions for the show by emailing us at inthetankpodcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. Fantastic. Chris, what do you have to pitch today? Uh, Well, I hope everyone goes to stoppingsocialism.com and heartland.org. We got lots of great content up there. Fantastic. Come to the benefit. 
Come to the Benefit Dinner. Yeah, Benefit Dinner, October 21st, like I mentioned. Benefit.heartland.org for more information. All right. Thank you all for joining us. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>